I'm Michael Brennis, and this is the Showbiz Roundup. Guitarist Charlie Ballantyne is no stranger to ambitious projects, having released an album of his own renditions of the music of Bob Dylan, and now a double LP of the music of Thelonious Monk. He's bringing his Hoosier message to the people, with an upcoming string of trio and quartet dates in the U.S. and Canada, with a stop in Madison at the Baroque on Friday, September 10th. Well, Charlie Ballantyne, welcome to the Showbiz Roundup. I want to dive right in and talk about your last record that came out in 2018, uh, Life is Brief, and this is music of Bob Dylan. So it just seems to me like one of the big challenges of taking on this kind of project is that so much of the essence of Dylan's music is in the lyrics, and um, the melodies aren't necessarily, you know, it's not jazz melodies, of course, and, and also harmonically, this is not jazz harmony. These, these are folk harmonies. How, how do you take that music and, uh, you know, stripping away all those things that I just mentioned and make it your own? How do you do that? Yeah, that was the toughest part of the process for me um, because I, I do, I love the lyrics so much. And that's a big part of why I fell in love with uh, Bob Dylan's music at a at an early age. Um, but I, I also lo- have always loved the melodies and contrary to maybe popular belief. I, I love his, his voice. And, and so um, my main goal was to, to try and capture something musically that was there, something in the arrangements that actually, you know, conveyed some of the lyricism and, and his music. And um, whether that, you know, was, was adding a, a different timbre by adding an instrument like a saxophone that I thought captured it or, or just hitting a pedal or, you know, adding, I did add a singer on one song, um, but it, it was just a, uh, it was kind of an obstacle that, that I, I tried to, tried to overcome with, with little musical tricks, arranging tricks here and there. And, uh, and yeah, I just wanted people to be able to hear these lyrics without actually hearing them, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, you know, some audiences could probably sing along without even, you know, to themselves, basically, because it's such it's iconic music, you know. And yeah, and you guys played this live. Was it well received in places where you played it? Yeah, yeah, we uh, we did a pretty long tour with with this record. Um, it was probably like twenty dates and uh, the U.S., like Midwest and and Canada, some, and and yeah, it was. Uh, it was well received. The draw was great. And it wasn't, you know, especially back then, this was a few years ago now. Um, no one had any idea who I was. So it was what was interesting about about playing this music live and taking it um, on the road was that you really got an idea of how huge this guy's impact is. Like we all we all know he's this famous celebrity folk singer musician, but um but yeah, people really came out of the woodwork uh, to to hear his music, you know, played by us, and and it was it was a it was a cool experience. Cool. Um, and then now the new record that's coming out, you kind of taken the same concept with the music of Thelonious Monk. And I mean, I was going to ask how you chose, you know, the particular tunes that you chose, but it happens to that it's a double LP, so it seems like you just you just like any song you you could think of you added to the to the mix there but um again like 
you know, Th- Thelonious Monk is composing, he's playing, it's so iconic. How do you take, you know, his music and, and make it your own? And, and how did you select the tunes that you, are, that you have on the record? Yeah, it was a it was a different process than the Dylan um, record for sure. It's it's such a different music, just stylistically, and um, and it was it was just as hard picking the music. You know, I think Dylan has like eight hundred tunes or something, and I had to narrow it down to twelve. And I think Monk has probably around like eighty compositions. So that made it a little easier. But yeah, we had to we had to extend it to the double LP for a couple of reasons. Um, because we couldn't narrow it down to like seven, eight, nine songs. It was it was just proving to be too difficult. And I also, I love his trio playing so much. I love his quartet playing and I love his solo playing. And, and I decided to kind of do all three of those things on this record. And um, the first half is is trio, um, guitar, bass, and drums. And the second half is is quartet when we added saxophone. And, and I... I, I really fell in love with his music through the, the Coltrane stuff. That was my first exposure to, to Thelonious Monk was live at Carnegie Hall with John Coltrane. And, and so I, I felt like I just couldn't do a, a tribute, you know, that was personal to me without having saxophone on some of it. Um, but yeah, picking the songs was, was hard because they're, they're all good for different reasons. And he, it's such a wide spectrum of, um, of different types of songs you know they're all they're all kind of funny and quirky but also complex and and beautiful um and so i i tried to grab a few songs that i'd I'd heard other people cover that i i like a lot and i've I've known for a long time but they're also you know it's primarily like i guess what i'd say monk deep tracks you know like i don't think there's a lot of brilliant corners <laughs> recordings out there, so so I wanted to grab some stuff that I, I hadn't really heard other people do very often. Nice, yeah, that's great. Um, your sound on the guitar, I mean, it's it sounds like kind of quintessential Telecaster. You do play a Telecaster, don't you? I do, except on the Monk record, it, it is a Les Paul. Oh well, there you go. So much for my guitar ear. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, I, I mean. I hear a lot of parallels with, say, Bill Frizzell, for example. Who are your other guitar um, players that you look to for inspiration? I, I've always been drawn to guys that are kind of, you know, on on the fringe of. I love I love listening to people when that question arises, like, "Is this jazz?" That's that's my favorite type of guitar player when when they kind of their music warrants that question. So Bill Frizzell is definitely a big one. He has, you know, such an eclectic uh, style and, and such a diverse style. Another one's John Schofield. Um, his music is, has been a huge influence on me. Mike Stern, really, I love that generation, you know, John Abercrombie and then newer guys uh, like Julian Lange is a big one for me. And in a lot of ways, it, it kind of feels like, uh, you know, maybe he's he's my generation's equivalent to to Bill Frizzell. He's definitely his own thing, but but he's doing uh, with with music and with jazz in particular what I feel like you know Frizzell kind of started doing in the '80s and '90s, just kind of legitimizing like yeah, let's let's bring bluegrass into this, mm-hmm. let's uh, let's bring country music into this, and still kind of consider it under the jazz umbrella. I think 
I think that's just a really interesting practice when you're playing this music. It is interesting, I think, because, um, you know, to me, there was a period of time as the fusion era was coming to a close and there was kind of a backlash against that or uh, a renewed focus on the essentials of swing and bebop and traditional instrumentation. But I think Bill Frizzell was in the vanguard of people who was kind of eschewing that kind of dogmatic approach, allowing the music to encompass other forms and categories. And he, among other people, paved the way, and now it's wide open and people dig it. Yeah, yeah, I, I just did a, an Agogo tribute, and I think that was another point in jazz guitar where John Schofield, you know, said, yes, you can be a modern jazz guitarist and release a jam band album. Um, you know, and I, yeah, I just, I love, I love that those guys kind of broke down some barriers for us. Um, mentioning that record, um, I just have to say there was a club in Madison. Oh, I don't know. It was probably early two thousands and they had that record on the PA, like every single night, you know, <laughs> I was playing there uh, a couple times a month or whatever. Every night it was that same record. And, you know, I guess I got a little sick of it after a couple of months of that, but, you know, really cool, great record, you know. I, I think Modesco yeah. Martin and, and Wood are on that record, too. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, he He kind of joined forces with them and, yeah, entered a whole new scene, I feel like. Yeah. Um, you are from Indianapolis, is that right? You live in Indianapolis? Yeah. Um, what's the scene like down there? You have, I mean, you have a lot of collaborators, are there enough places to play? Do you find that you need to go on the road more or, you know, what's it like? Yeah, it's a, it's a great scene. It's, it's a really deep pool of, of high caliber musicians. And, and there is a, a tradition here that, you know, it, I feel like it's not quite as well known as, as like Chicago or uh, New York and New Orleans, but, um, but we have a, a deep tradition with, really world-class players coming from here like um west montgomery freddie hubbard jj johnson um and david baker who was the uh director of, of the indiana university jazz program for decades um so so and that kind of has worked as almost like a farm for the indianapolis scene like you know people were going to study with david and then a few years later they pop up and kind of start doing things in the the indie scene and and that was what i did as well um and we we do have we have two great jazz clubs here um one's the jazz kitchen and that's like kind of the uh you know the nice dinner club like quiet uh listening room you know type of club and then we have the chatterbox downtown and that's like the uh boisterous ruckus after the gig where all the musicians go and hang out and sit in together um kind of our our jazz dive bar here in indy and it's uh it's it's really nice to have both of those the one where you kind of have to wear a suit and then the one where it's like you kind of let your hair down and just uh you know play until mm -hmm. 3 a.m very cool shifting gears just a little bit i i noticed that you're working with a pr firm and um you know, for, for those musicians and players out there who are kind of staunchly DIY, you know, can you talk about if there was a, you know, did you do like a cost benefit analysis for that? Or was there a, was there something that you made you decide, yeah, I really need to 
get this business taken care of? I mean, I'm sure it makes your life easier with booking and things like that. But was can you talk to the DIY folks out there about what the benefits are for doing that? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, I'm I'm an open book with that stuff. It's uh, it's something I've done for a long time. I just kind of figured out early on that if I wanted my my music to reach people further than you know where I was playing, then it was it was best to use you know if I wanted to do radio to use a radio team um, to send out the albums to uh, to radio stations and then a PR firm to send out to publications and and things like that. And I, I think it, you know, one thing that people don't realize is that it, the, these publicists, you know, a lot of the times they're just friends with the editor at Downbeat. They're, you know, they're just sending it to their friends, someone they have uh, a personal and a business relationship with. So if they, if they receive something from kind of an unknown musician, you know, they may or may not open it. They're probably not going to. And if they do open it, they're probably not going to listen to it. But, you know, if, if their friend, the publicist in L.A. calls them up and says, hey, will you give this guitar player, this trumpet player, you know, this this new guy out of Chicago, will you give him a quick listen? They'll say, yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm free right now. So it's it really is just it's a lot easier to kind of break through, especially with these bigger magazines like like Downbeat. I don't think Downbeat really accepts, uh, you know, uh, submissions from musicians, you know. So, so it, it really helps to kind of um, at least hire a publicist once or twice to kind of establish these relationships. And then maybe after that, like, you know, I've gotten to know some of the people that have continually reviewed me over the years and um, I keep in touch with those guys. But, but yeah, it's a, it's a huge benefit in the, the direct um, cost and, and profitability of it is, is hard to see. And it's, probably not even healthy to look at in that way because it's, uh, I think, I think of it as opportunity based. Um, you know, if I have a lot of good press from a, a lot of really, um, uh, you know, high, uh, substantial jazz publications, it really, it's going to help me get the foot, my foot in the door and different venues, maybe some festivals, things like that. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of the benefit that I see of, of having a publicist and, and getting a lot of good press that I probably wouldn't be able to do by myself. Yeah. So tell me about the cats who are coming with you on the tour. I know the, your date at the Burr Oak here in Madison is a trio date. Yeah. So, um, Chris Parker on drums, who he's been on a number of my albums. Uh, now at this point he was on life is brief, the, the Dylan record. He's just a, uh, Th this is not the Chris Parker from, New York from who's on like the Brecker brothers. Correct. Yeah, yeah. The, that guy has ruined the Google search on this guy. <laughs> definitely. Um, but uh, no, he's a young guy. Uh, we, we met, he went to IU after me. Chris was kind of a, a prodigy that was living in Bloomington. And I started playing with him when he was in high school. Um, and I was in college down there. He was probably 16. Um, so I've, I've played hundreds of gigs with Chris and I, I, learn a lot from even though he's several years younger than me I learn a lot from, a lot from the guy every time we play together and he spent a lot of time he lived in New York for a few years um, he's lived in Chicago a bit so he's he's definitely been around and then John Sims a great bass player who's also a New York Chicago he was in New York for years and during the pandemic moved back to Chicago mm -hmm. 
um, his plays with, you know, you're, you're close enough to Chicago, you know, like Greg Ward and uh, like Andy Brown, all, you know, all these, all these incredible young uh, Chicago musicians right now, John's right there in the thick of it. So we, uh, we had a few gigs this past weekend just that we kind of used as a rehearsal for the next month uh, of traveling. And we all got excited. It just, it sounded sounded great right away. So we're uh, we're we're just looking forward to to playing a bunch of gigs together and getting into some stuff. Very cool. So we've reached the part in the show where I say, anything else uh, that you want to talk about? Like anything else you want to plug before we wrap up? Oh yeah, we you know we mentioned the the Burr Oak show. So I, I just hope to see some some people out there. It looks like a, a beautiful room. As many people as they'll they'll let in. I don't know what the mandates are. I'm getting emails all the time about, okay, this venue's changed now, we're doing this, and, you know, we might not be open. So I'm just glad that you guys are open, and I, I hope to see a, a lot of you guys in Madison at our, our show there. We're really looking forward to it. Yeah, it is a lovely room, um, and, and the cats who run it are great. I don't think there's a capacity limit, but I think they probably have masking or, or something, you know. Um, so, But it's a, it's a sizable room. We were there up until like March, whatever of 2020. And that's when everything shut down. So it was going strong and hopefully it'll get back on its feet. And, you know, I know they're doing shows, so it should be good. should be good. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Looking forward to it. Well, thanks for having me on. This was a lot of fun. Great, Charlie. It was great to talk to you and uh, we'll see you out there. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. That's it for another episode of the Showbiz Roundup. If you'd like more information about this show or any of the past or future shows presented by Bluestem Jazz, you can head over to bluestemjazz.org. And you can follow my doings or be in touch via rattletickbuzz.com. Catch you later. <laughs>